Melbourne AA Steps Weekend 2008. This is Harry talking about Step 5. Uh, good evening, uh, my name is Harry, I'm an alcoholic. Hi, Harry. Um, <clears throat> it's nice to see a lot of familiar faces. Um, a lot of you know my, uh, my, my story. Um, yes, I won't burden you with it further, but um, I didn't come into AA uh, for an argument. Um, I came in because the solution to my problems are booze and drugs that for a long time failed me. Um, they left me, uh, I was probably worse stoned than I was straight, and that was saying something. Um, I was morally bankrupt, um, physically ailing, and um, unable to continue. Uh, I was classically stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, <clears throat> I got into the rooms of AA. I went um, under my own steam, which seems it's, is unusual. Um, it's normal to to be taken or carried in um, but I, I went on my own and um, and I started to listen um, because I had to I had a, I had a feeling that this was my last port of call and I had no great um, there was no choice really um, they told me early on that um, that my possibilities if I went back out were um, institutions uh, jail or death, and um, and I tended to agree with them, um, but it still didn't stop me from uh, thinking I knew knew everything. Um, I remember my first meeting was was strange. I um, I was told to I was given half a cup half a cup of tea, which I thought was a bit stiff. <laughs> yeah, you think, come on, you know, they probably didn't realise that I was famous. You know. <laughs> But the guy that the guy that pulled me in um, was a man called Alan, and um, Alan still has—I checked this—still has the biggest hands in AA. He has big in hands. So he pulled me, hooked me in. It's like the shake is the pull, you know. Pulled me in, and sat me down, and and, um, and I was given this tea, and uh, I was told to listen up for the. Um, Similarities, not the differences, and I thought that was pretty smart, you know, because I didn't, I hadn't heard all the the lines, the one-liners, you know, because I was fresh and I I was 42 years old and never been in involved in uh, in a 12-step program before. Um, the only time um, that I'd not drunk, my idea of controlled drinking was to be on antibiotics for an infection, you know. Um, so <clears throat> yeah, it was curious. So I started after a few weeks to get to uh, like look around uh, my surroundings, the, the, the meetings. I went every day, which was because uh, I had to. I knew if I sat at home, I wouldn't really last too long. But I started to check out the signs. The one I deciphered first was the biggest one, which said hope. You know, and hope made uh, a big deal of difference to me because um, I found that I had it by coming back on a daily basis. Uh, it did spring eternal, and it was good. Um, but then I started to appreciate that um, there was something more to this uh, recovery than uh, than just being hopeful. Uh, and it was it was in this this uh, the twelve steps, this banner. And I remember counting all the words. I remember thinking it was weird. I remember thinking, uh, 
what 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 do you do with it? Uh, and um, not too long after, I started going to what still is my home group, the men's group, the deal on a Sunday night, and someone said to me that there is a solution to my restlessness, irritability, and discontent, and it was in these steps. It was what I'd always wanted, a, uh, a guide to living in the world uh, that wasn't in a pill bottle or in a lump or in a bag or in a bottle. Um, and that's how uh, I reached out. That's why I coped with stuff. Because I had this condition that when I was sober, I felt very little. I felt full of fear, and I wanted to be part of the rest of the world. When I drank and took drugs, I didn't become like everybody else. I became better than. So that was my problem. I wanted to be part of the world. I didn't want to be better than. I didn't want to be Tarzan, you know, uh, and that's what booze and dope and stuff did to me. So um, I got a sponsor who um, who was, uh, <clears throat> well, I still have this same guy. I talked to him on the tram when I came uh, tonight. Um, <clears throat> I've talked to him on a daily basis for, for say, nine years. Uh, God bless him. And he has never given me a bum steer. And he... Uh, he told me um, when I asked him to maybe could he find the time uh, to show me this stuff, um, he said yes. He said, I'll see you at 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And before my home group started, we'd sit in the, in the hall and we'd do uh, the book for an hour. And uh, he slowly um, took me into this... Uh, this maze, uh, I created, I mean, the steps for, for me were a maze because it is so easy to, um, to spoil this program with the, where the disease is uh, centred in, with the mind. And uh, I had a lot of trouble intellectualising this thing, but I uh, didn't see its simplicity. And uh, he drew that out of me because as a sponsor, I mean, you have to spend a bit of time thinking about, uh, you know, getting a sponsor that suits you, because you can get, I don't know, it's it's a hard thing. I fell in with a good a good man, but he spoke little, and suggested action, and that's what uh, drew me into um, into recovery and made me useful. Um, the first three steps I found were were very confrontational. I didn't realise. I thought it was all about me. But the first word was we, and that sort of, I was a bit taken with that, you know, I thought, no, I'm fairly important, I need a sort of, anyway, we got into it, the first three steps, I had to admit in my guts and in my heart that I was powerless, uh, over booze, I was powerless over most things, I was driven by fear and my life was, was unmanageable. Um, then I had to develop in step two a willingness to accept a higher power in my life. I had to surrender my will, and that was very hard. I didn't understand. Surrender to me is sort of uh, you know, saying to someone that's belting you, I've had enough, but it's not about that. It's surrender at depth. I had to appreciate that uh, it was my only hope was to, was to surrender so I could find a power greater than myself, and I was able to do that. I remember when I came to my third step prayer, I, had to, I thought, you know, he said, let's kneel down. And I, I think that was the first time I'd knelt down for a long time, except when I'd been overcome by, by drugs, you know. Uh, I knelt down with him and we said this prayer together and, and I thought it was weird, you know, because I hadn't let go completely. And uh, 
And I thought, you know, God, what's this? You know, I mean, this man is a, is a tough man. And he always said to me, you know, how tough are you, you know, to take this on board? And, uh, and I said, I'll try my best. So we did this. But then we got into um, the fourth and fifth. And this, the first few steps had taken a while. But the fourth and fifth, I, I balked. I barked and I carried on. I wriggled and I squirmed. And, uh, and he just said, like, don't get wound up about it. He said, um, the greatest motivator in this, in this, um, in this program is uh, is fear and he said um that kicks you along at every stage and uh, i i grew to appreciate that that was more than true uh and i started to uh to appreciate that if i didn't do a thorough and fearless moral inventory and share it with him and this god that i had a willingness to believe in i didn't have a chance he said to me always you know he said give me a year of your life and what he meant by that was come to AA and listen up big. And he said, if you don't like it, he said, we've got a misery back guarantee. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty cool, you know. So with this in mind, my head ringing, you know, I used to write a lot when I was drinking and, uh, and do a lot of stimulants. And, and I thought I was pretty good at writing, you know. And I wrote a lot uh, over the years. The 70s was full of dribble that I'd written, you know, because um, when everybody had gone to bed, I was still buzzing, you know, and I'd write reams of deep and meaningless shite, you know. <laughs> so I thought, yeah, I'll start writing. He said, pick up a pen. He said, when you put it on paper, it's real. And I thought, you know, so I got into it and it was difficult because he, it wasn't for me to write it down. He gave me the form. It's all in, in the textbook. He, the, alcohol, the, the AA, the book of AA, the big book, is the textbook. And it's all in there. The columns, he had, I had to do it by the book. And I thought that was a bit irritating because I wanted to do it my way, you know. I wanted to write down the things that, you know, I thought were sort of risky and naughty. And, but I, I don't want to tell him the good stuff, you know. Um, but it took me a while because he'd G me up, you know. He'd say, you know, how are you going with it? And I said, well, because I'd ring him on a daily basis and say, you know, this is hard, that's hard. And I started to get it, you know, and I started to uh, to come to terms with it. Because I have this image, you know, with, with doing my fifth that, you know, my mind, what my sponsor calls the devil's playground, it's like an overgrown garden. That's how I was when I started doing the fourth. And what you had to do was cut back all the weeds so you had a bit of clarity, you know. Uh, I had to get in with the heavy-duty scrub cutter, you know. <laughs> and that's what happened, you know. I started to... So we chose the day. He said, I think you've had enough time, you know. And I'd done my ills, my sex conduct and, and my resentments and my fears. And um, I'll be honest, you know, because he told me quite regularly, you know, we're not writing a book you know, and I thought that was a bit harsh, you know, because, you know, I was a pretty talented guy, you know. I, I saw it as at times, because I was ego-driven, uh, you know, as a, as like a celebration of my uh, seedy life. But, um, but what it was, was it was very condensed. Basically, he said, we're doing an inventory, and he said, your head's a shop, and it's got some rotting, festering shit in there. That's what we've got to dig out. And um, that's what we did. We sat down, he, we chose that. He said, where do you want to do it, you know? So we chose this little cricket um, pavilion 
that I used to sit in and drink sherry and smoke joints. And uh, it was a precious place because for years I used to sit on the top uh, tier of this pavilion and, um, and I'd get stoned. And I always used to think I could see the bay from there. You know, see the boats. And we were in Malvern. Um. <laughs> And so I always used to sit here. It's a terrific view of the bay. And he's going <laughs> so that's when I, I started to lay this stuff um, on him. And, um, and see, what we were doing here was it's very easy when you get into AA to admit you're a conniving arsehole. But the process, it, it tells you why. You know, and that's what I had. That's what was insightful about this process for me. It explained to me why I was the way I was, why I drank, why I was the man I was. The man I was, it was why I drank came out in that process. I told him this stuff, and because he'd been hard and not wanted to hear the entertaining stuff like the accidental burglaries, you know, I thought were very funny. He didn't think I was very funny at all. He said, what the hell is that about? It's about the stench, the stench that was in my mind. And uh, that's what came out that afternoon. It took me an hour or so. We discussed every aspect, every fear and the resentments. And we worked out by chasing the columns. What was my part in it? That, we pulled it straight back across the columns. And we dug. And there I was in all my glory, you know. I was self-will run riot. I was conniving, self-obsessed, and yeah, I was revealed. And um, then, it's strange, he kicked me straight into six, seven, and eight. He said, go and sit down and think about, have we missed anything? You know, in, because we're building the foundation to, to uh, the rest of my sober life. And uh, it was an enormous relief, you know, I didn't fall I didn't see anything burning, anything burn, any sort of uh, huge spiritual experience. But what I had was a fundamental change at depth. It was a curious feeling because most of my anticipated uh, ideas, I mean, most of my anticipation about sobriety has been cobblers, you know. I mean, the things I expect have always just gone up in smoke and the reality of sobriety presents itself to me. That I see as, uh, as uh, the, the higher power playing its part in my life because I'm still trying to write the script. So what I had after this fifth uh, step with this guy was I'd actually exposed myself yeah, to, to somebody else in God. you know, um, And it was a very humbling experience because he sat there and he patiently nodded and listened to me and he didn't blush or didn't get mad, didn't judge me. He just said, that's how it is, you know. And he illustrated some of my worst bits with some of his worst bits. And I thought, how awful. How could you do such a thing? I was being funny. <laughs> so we, we, we had a... I mean, that to me is a, an ex, it was an exciting experience because I thought, how can that be enjoyable? But, you know, when you move on, you move on with a... A clearer, a garden that's been trimmed up, cut up, and it's, I mean, you've got a good place to work with. And that means, you know, that the number one killer of alcoholics is resentment. And they're, they're driven by fear, anxiety, envy, and all that stuff. 
if you've got a clear mind, and I, I threw out a lot of my resentments and fears, I ended up with this, um, you know, I really had to try hard to get mad with, with stuff, you know, and I moved on. And as we got further down, I started to do my amends, and I, I, I found a great understanding very quickly in using that 10-step inventory, so I didn't have to do another fourth and fifth step. I wouldn't let the garden get out of hand. You know, so I had a manicuring happening on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, so it started to work well for me. But what it started, I mean, the revelation of that fifth for me made me appreciate, because I never saw it till that point, was that how I could be useful to other people. Because for 42 years of my life, I'd been driven by self-will. I'd been been driven by this bondage that was me. I was just completely obsessed with me. And suddenly I started to see that once I started to see clearly that I saw how I could be helpful. And the guts of this thing is, is making yourself useful in this program, you know. And when I, un I understand this thing, I can grasp it. I live by these principles the majority of the time. And I find it is in my best interests to share this, you know, because it's difficult to share, you know, because people don't want it. It's hard. You know, and I'm not saying I'm great because I'm involved in this thing, but I prefer it this way because my alternatives are very unpleasant. Um, you know, what will I go back to? Um, I don't know, my friend um, busted. We, we did the first five years together, and my, my friend busted um, after five years, and he, I rang him up because we rang each other a lot. And, um, and I said, you know, are you okay? And he said, no, I'm drunk. I said, you're kidding, you know, because we talked the day before. And I said, what happened? And uh, he's in the, uh, he ended up uh, after the, the following day in the psych unit at the Alfred. And uh, he was manhandled there by half a dozen St. Kilda policemen, you know. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, we've known each other a long time. We've gone the hard yards of sobriety together. And, um, and I said, well, what happened? What was it fucking like? And he said, the first sip was all right. He said, it went straight downhill from there, you know. <laughs> That's the only joy you got, you know. He said it's amazing. From the second pot, next thing you knew, he was down the street with a slab and a bottle of whiskey. It was in an hour, you know. And um, from there, it was a hop, skip, and a jump to the psych unit, and not a good place to be. Um, so what I'm saying here about the fifth, it's pain is is our touchstone. It has to be. It kicks us along, but it's a tremendous relief to pare all that garbage back, to go through your mind with a big brush cutter, cut out all the crap, discard it, it's smelly, you know, it'll bring us down, it'll take us back to those places, the degradation, the humiliation, you don't need it, you know, but uh, on a daily basis I find the fifth, I don't have to do it again, if I drink again maybe I'll be out there long, I don't know, I don't try not to think about it, but a tenth, uh, a good daily inventory keeps me fresh and keeps me, uh, keeps me swinging. And, um, you know, if you're in the middle of your fourth, don't worry about it too much. Take your time. I always say to the people I sponsor, you know, let your recovery gather its own momentum. You can't push it, you know. You've got to let it go. And God will introduce himself. Um, and I think that's important. And I'd like to thank the, uh, the committee for asking me uh, to, to share tonight. And... Uh, and I'd like to thank uh, all you people for my sobriety. Thank you.
Information about the annual Melbourne AA Steps Weekend is available from www.stepsweekend.aagroup.org.au Thanks for letting us share.